Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's your boy, Jim Heimberg of Blue Chip Scouting, here to talk about some football with our special guest here today. He is someone I consider a mentor, one of the smartest football minds around, and my favorite quarterback guru. It's the wonderful and fantastic Mark Schofield of the Touchdown Wire. Mark, welcome to the pod. Thank you for joining Oh, Jared, thanks so much for having me. Um, it, you know, it's it's funny. We were actually we going to record this on Thursday. Um, I had some stuff come up on my end, so we had to push it to Friday. And thankfully we did because a little bit of quarterback news actually broke quarterback news. It's near and dear to both of our hearts. So I'm excited we get a chance to actually react to that in real time. But uh, thanks, buddy, for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited to talk about some of the news that just came out this morning. Um, it, it was actually, I think, maybe – 15 minutes after I woke up, I was still laying in bed. And then um, my uh, my co-host, Devin Jackson, who, of course, is not here, that I've explained before, um, he added me in the um, Blue Chip Scouting group chat, and I looked to see what it was. And it was the Boston Globe reporting that Cam Newton has re-signed with the New England Patriots for a one-year deal. And Adam Schefter later reporting it was for a – it was on a – one year, fourteen million dollar deal. Um, so this is our chance to really react to the news. Mark's a Patriots fan; he's going to be able to react to this. Um, so, Mark, go ahead, get your reactions out. What do you think of this move? Is it is this the move to make this off season? I mean, I think it's one of the moves that they have to make. I think you know they looked around the sort of veteran market. Um, you know, Marcus Mariota via trade, a Jimmy Garoppolo trade, like other options they could have looked at. Apparently, they did kick the tires on Garoppolo. Um, Everett Lazar from CLNS Media, who's a Patriots beat reporter, said in the last couple of minutes that they asked about Garoppolo's availability. San Francisco said he's not going to be available. And so they moved on. I, I think that, you know, it's a one-year, $14 million deal, but that's with a lot of incentives in there. The cap number is probably going to be a lot lower than that. These are probably going to be sort of those, you know, not likely to be achieved sort of incentives that, you know, you could structure it in a way that 14 million won't be his cap number, even if he hits them. Um, I think it makes sense because it doesn't preclude them from drafting a rookie. It doesn't preclude them from if Marcus Mariota ends up getting cut, sided him because, look, the Raiders are in a bad financial position. And I think they looked at last year and saw that he signed late. There was COVID. He tested positive for COVID. He was dealing with that, and he wasn't the same in the weeks that he came back. It took him a while to sort of get back to where he was. Um, they looked at the roster that they had around him and realized that they could have done a better job of putting talent around him. And they thought, look, we'll side him. We'll bring it back. So now we've at least got somebody because they have a ton of cap space, Jared. They've got the third most cap space out of any right. team in the National Football League. But you can't go to, say, Kenny Galladay and say, hey, come play for us if you don't know who's going to be throwing in the football. You know, now it's at least, look, you've got Cam in the house. Um, you know who you've at least got that. So you can make that pitch to free agents. And I think what will be interesting in the next, say, two weeks is we're going to find out how the rest of the league in terms of the players feel about Cam Newton. You know, because if you you start seeing guys like, you know, Galladay, um, you know, Curtis Samuel, like other free agent receivers start saying, yeah, I'll play for New England. That will tell you that whatever us on the outside and in the media think of Cam Newton, his peers respect him. His peers want to play with him. 
His peers want to catch passes from him. And so if you start seeing free agent receivers say, yeah, I'll go play for New England now, that will tell you that the league is a little bit higher in Cam Newton than maybe some of us on the outside are. But, look, you're a Cam guy. What do you think? I, You know, it, it's the perfect fit because he already knows the system. And, yeah. you know, like I listened to the I Am Athlete podcast with him, um, yeah. Ocho Cinco, Brandon Marshall, Fred Taylor, if you guys haven't listened to it. Go listen to it. Great stuff from Cam and the rest of the guys over there. This, I mean, sure, Washington could have been a good fit for Cam because, I mean, he would have reunited Ron Rivera and Scott Turner and also more familiar faces like Marty Herney's there in the front office. But, you know, Newing, it it's been evident for weeks now, for a couple months now, that and Belichick has raved about Cam for not even just this past season, but for years. Yeah. Um, ever since both times that Cam Newton's played against the Patriots. Bill Belichick, Cam Newton have great respect and love for each other. They're a great duo. There was a lot of things that went wrong for New England last year. They, Cam Newton was put in a very difficult position because he signed late in the offseason during in the middle at the height of the pandemic, um, I would say. I, I wouldn't actually, maybe the height of the pandemic was in the winter. But anyways, he signed in the offseason, late in the offseason, didn't have a lot of time to really learn the playbook. He started getting going the first few weeks. Like we saw against Seattle, he just balled out. Probably some of the best play I have seen from Cam Newton in quite a few years. Um, and then he gets COVID right before the Chiefs game. And that just that he he falls behind on everything. And now and once he came back, he said, I was starting to really question, okay, is, is this the right concept? Is this what what what's this call and all that? He had he was hesitating a lot. And I you saw that throughout the season, but he did get he had some good moments throughout the season. Like, he had some good games. He had a good game against the Jets, both games against the Jets. He also had a good game against Houston. Um, and, like, there were some other games that he also – he had a good game on tape. But when you look at from a fan perspective, fans would be like, that's not really a good game. But it is what it is. But Cam Newton now with a full off season, hopefully getting better weapon – Better weapons other than Julian Edelman and Jacoby Myers as his top two receivers. If he gets some other good weapons, if he gets a go-to tight end, either in free agency or the draft, that's a better – ten times a better offense than New England had last year. And New England's getting a bunch of guys that opted out back this year. So New England's already going to be better. So I think this was a good move for – New England, this was a good move for Cam. Again, it was another low-risk, high-reward deal. If Cam Newton balls out, he's probably going to get another contract, but it's probably going to be longer. It's probably going to be bigger. Yep. But this 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 does not mean that quarterback is ruled out at 15. No. And I can say that as a big Cam Newton fan because I know that they want to that Bill Belichick wants to bring in competition for Cam to let him compete for the starting job with either a Mac Jones or a Trey Lance via trade up, you know, that that's 
that's something to keep an eye on. But another thing to keep an eye on is if Kyle Pitts, Florida tight end, best tight end in the draft, if he is there at 15, I feel like that is best player available right there. You go best player available. You get Kyle Pitts with Cam. Woo-hoo. That's yeah. going to be fun. I That's mean, going to be really fun. I've been saying for a while, Jared, that, look, if Pitts is there at 15, I'm overjoyed um, because I think that would be fantastic. He's the kind of, like, mismatch weapon, um, you know, tight end in name only. I mean, I, I'm going to rank him as a receiver, too. Uh, I think a lot of people are because I think he could fit on, as a, a traditional X type, but I think you're doing yourself a, a disservice if you just say he's a receiver. Like, he's a tight end. You move him all over the place. But you're right. It, it, this doesn't preclude them from going quarterback in the draft. Like, if somehow Trey Lance slides to 9, 10, if he gets past Carolina somehow, um, New England might trade up to go get him. You know, you've got Cam Newton. You've got Trey Lance to learn from Cam Newton. Uh, I mean, I think that might be ideal. Um, if Mac Jones is there at 15 and you think, look, you know, maybe we let Mac Jones learn under Cam Newton. I mean, they're different stylistic quarterbacks, but still there's a potential where you've got Cam Newton to play until whenever you feel he's ready. So I don't think they're done at quarterback, but I think this gives them at least a plan A. You know, a lot of Patriots fans, my my Twitter mentions are a nightmare right now. A lot <laughs> of Patriots fans are are upset by this, and I understand that because I think if you look at specific games, the 49ers game last year, you might say that, look, Cam Newton, it's, it's, he's not the answer. But you're right. You know, that, that Seattle game, you know, they could have won that game. Uh, the two Jets games, the Houston game, a game they lost, I thought was some of Cam's best football season. And so there were moments you could see that in a traditional offseason, preseason training camp, it will be better. And here's another thing. This was actually something that uh, a Twitter uh, follower like DM'd me after the Trent Brown trade earlier this mm. week. Trent Brown at left tackle, they probably score on one of those short yardage plays against Seattle. Now you're eight and eight. You know, like I, I wouldn't. A lot of people said after the Trent Brown trade that oh they're going to go pocket passer, they're going to go Mac Jones. I now, saw that too. I, I'm like, no, uh, no. That, I, I, I mean, they might. Passer. They might, or they, they might, might just say, look. You know, they've got an opportunity to acquire Trent Brown, who was great for them. Um, they're going to do it. It might, it doesn't mean, really mean anything about what they're going to do with quarterback. So I, I think this gives them options. You know, they're not pigeonholed into like, this is what we have to do with quarterback. If Lance is there, they'll draft him. If Jones is there and they like him, they'll draft him. If they don't like either guy, they might draft Kyle Pitts. They might draft Jalen Waddle, like whatever they want to do at 15. And then maybe Jamie Newman sometime on day two or early day three is the way they go. Like they've got options now. And I think that's good considering it's, I think it's March 12th. Maybe it's March 11th. I don't know what day it is, but I I (laughs) I know it's Jared. I know it's March. It's not September. There's time to figure (laughs) this stuff out. Man, you know, and also Patriots fans have to realize that when it comes to going after receivers, either through free agency and the draft, this is a very deep year in terms of yeah. or at the wide receiver position yeah. in either free agency or the draft. You know, you got a lot of talented receivers across I'm- the board, <laughs> and you don't have to go receiver at 15 if there's no, one no. available. I, I want to ask, I want to ask you about. Another possibility is that could there be a chance that New England goes defense at 15? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, they obviously, look, you're getting Dante Hightower back. You're getting Patrick Chun back. Like, you're getting two core components of your defense back from often out. But I don't think that, look, 
if Micah Parsons is there at 15, like that screams Bill Belichick to me. Um, you know, if one of the big three corners, however you want to stack those guys, you know, if they do decide to trade Stephon Gilmore, it's a deep corner group, but you know, maybe the guy that they don't want to wait until 46, you know, if a JC Horn is there or if they haven't addressed it in free agency, like I, I said earlier this week, Richard Sherman, in New England, that sort of veteran type player, like that could work too. But I wouldn't rule them out on going defense. Um, you know, Edge is interesting. Um, they need help on the pass rush side. Um, you know, if Phillips is there, I, I really like Phillips. He might be Edge one for me. Um, I know there's some questions about his time at UCLA, but, you know, he might be an option for them. The Georgia kid might be an option. Um, so, you know, they could go defense too. I mean, obviously everybody's so focused on the Patriots with quarterback and what they're going to do with the offensive side of the ball. Their defense was supposed to be great last year. It wasn't like it took a big step back. Um, they need help up front. Um, their secondary wasn't as good as they thought it would be. And if obviously you trade Stephon Gilmore for whatever reason, you're going to need another corner. Um, so they could go defense too. Like they've, they always uh, last year aside. Last year, I think, was different because of all the extenuating circumstances, yeah. COVID and signing Cam late and losing Tom Brady and everything that went on. Normally, the Patriots are smarter that they give themselves different pathways, right? They could go in different directions. They don't have to be locked into this position at this spot of the draft. They could go a number of different directions. And they, again, have money to spend. Like, it, Patriots fans might be freaking out right now. But if at the end of sort of free agency, as the dust clears after this process, and they've brought in Hunter Henry, Kenny Galladay, and Richard Sherman, and they haven't traded Stephon Gilmore yet, but you might think that's coming, and they bring Cam Newton back, like even if that's all they do, this is a much better team. And so, you know, they've got themselves options right now. They've got a quarterback that they can go out and to say the Kenny Galladays and the T.Y. Hiltons of the world, like, hey, come back, catch passes from this guy. They've given, given themselves some options going forward. What's, what's the deal with uh, J.C. Jackson? Do you think he'll be back, or do you think he's – I see. I think, I think he's the guy that they'll bring back. I mean, I, okay. I think that, you know, they'll – because I think he's under contract for one more season, whereas Gilmore's got the bigger number. And so if they're looking to sort of free up – not that they need cap space, but you're getting to that point where we've seen it so many times before, Jared, with Belichick, where like a Richard Seymour or a Trey Flowers or like guys that are near the end of their deal, Chandler Jones, if they realize that they're not going to resign this guy or that they're just not going to go down that road, whether it's because they don't want to spend the money or they don't think that they're going to give him enough that he's going to want to stay and play for them, that they'll get something in return. Um, so I, I think that's the road that they're going to head down. Um now, obviously, look, I thought they were going to trade him with last year's trading deadline, Stephon Gilmore, and they didn't do it. And maybe it's because they weren't, they were hoping to get a first rounder and that wasn't coming back. Um, but I do think that, look, JC Jackson, Jonathan Jones, Jason McCourty, add another corner to that group, either via free agency or the draft. Again, assuming you move on from Gilmore and you've got four corners. You've still got, um, the Vanderbilt kid that they drafted two years ago, whose name escapes him right now. Um, sort yeah. of lurking in the room in Juwan the range. Williams. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. they used him both at corner and sometimes at safety last year. Now with Chun back and with Kyle Duggar and Devin McCourty, you might not need to use him at safety. Um, you can move him more as a corner. Um, sort of that lawn corner type with length. Um, but you know, that will give them some options in the secondary if they do decide to move on from, from Gilmore. Yeah. And 
I just want to say this right now. I don't think New England is going to be an eight and eight team next year. I, I really don't. I think they. I think their ceiling is at least ten or eleven wins with all the players they're getting back, bringing back Cam Newton with a full off season, potentially having new weapons, good new weapons. Also, Julian Edelman, should he stay healthy, he's going to be back. You know, and also, you know, their their offensive line so really solid. I mean, they still have Josh McDaniels calling the plays, yep. you know, and McDaniels did get some heat. I gave him some heat, too, you know, he but he did what he could as a play caller with the stuff he had. Yeah. And he he, along with the rest of the team, was just put in an impossible situation. So I'm, I'm expecting a bit a much better Patriots team next year. Um and I'm really hoping the best for Cam Newton because I would love to see him ball out. And, like, hopefully if he does ball out, potentially lead New England to another Super Bowl title, you know, I, I would yeah. love to see that. I'd love to I, see. I do think it's important to remember that, you know, I said this before last season, that Belichick could do the best coaching job of his entire career. And given their schedule, that team was going to go 8-8. Eight and eight. Like, you look at the teams that they had to play, the quarterbacks they had to face. Like, that was a tough schedule, even if everything broke right. Now they're not going to have that first-play schedule. You know, the schedule is a little bit easier on paper. They've got money to spend. They've got guys coming back. Like, you know, even if they don't make all these moves we've, you know, hypothesized about, this will be a better team already. Um, And I just got news from Schefter Rappaport there. Schechter said that Tom Brady reached an agreement with the Buccaneers today on a four-year contract <laughs> extension. <laughs> I'm sorry, that man. Points to a one-year extension that locks him into Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay through 2020, the 2022 season. Bro, I mean, I mean. <sighs> Uh, this is the new thing, right? The like voidable years and all that stuff. So a four year deal is really a one year deal, but they can spread up the cap hit and all that stuff. But the idea of a man that is seven younger years, seven months younger than me, um, sat it for four more years. Look, I could barely drag myself out of bed today. I skipped a leg day. Okay. It was supposed to be Friday's my leg day. I didn't get out of bed to do it because everything hurt from shoulder day yesterday. And Tom Brady's out there <laughs> signing for four more years. Like, what? What? But the thing is. I don't understand this, bro. It's like, oh, I just want the man to retire. I appreciate the greatness so much. But it's like, bro, please retire. You've done enough. Well, it's like, it's like Giselle said to him on the field after they just won that last Super Bowl. What do you have left to prove? Apparently, still has to prove well, some stuff. He because he hurt, because, he hurt someone doubting him. And, yeah, because he's probably and, hearing us right now thinking, oh, they think I exactly. can't play until I'm 47. Like, that's how this man's <laughs> mind works. I remember, look, last year over at USA Today, I wrote what he signed with the Buccaneers. He's going to still win a Super Bowl. I, I, I was telling people, like, look, you're going to see the best of Tom Brady this year. He's yeah. still going to win a Super Bowl. And it happened because the man is maniacal. Like, he's he's got that ability to find the slightest perceived insult and slight of him and use it as motivation. I mean, before he signed with Tampa Bay last year, he started a film production company, and he named it 199 Productions, which, Jared, as you know, 
was where yep. he was drafted. And this is a man who's already had six reigns, and he's still got that on his mind. I've joked before that if you bump into Tom Brady in an elevator, he will remind you he was picked 199 before you get to your floor. Like, that's how driven he is by this. And last year he had the Tom Brady, had to leave New England. Belichick doesn't believe in him. He had that in his mind. And I, I even said right after they lost to Tennessee, no, New England did his last game there, watch Tampa Bay. Because people are going to say that Tom Brady can't can't function at a Bruce Arians offense, and he's going to say, "Yeah, bet." And that's what and he did. Like, <laughs> maybe it's the fact that again we're seven months. I'm only seven months older than there, but I've figured out how this dude mind works, and it's a scary place. Um, but that's how it works. And he's right now saying people can't say people are saying I can't play until I'm 47, so I'm going to do it. And he probably will, and he'll probably win two more Super Bowls because he's crazy. It's just uh, knowing that Tampa Bay, as a Panthers fan, knowing that Tampa Bay is going to be having Tom Brady the next few years, yep. and if Brady's not falling off anytime soon, which he does not look like he will. The host of Carolina developing into a good football team and being able to win that division just got a lot more tougher. Yeah. So, but I mean. <laughs> You knew he was going to come back anyway, so now you just hope that, you know, maybe Father Time eventually. Look, we're the 14th round of this 15-round fight, and look, Father Time is wobbly, but Father Time is undefeated. Brady's certainly going to take him the distance, but at some point, right? Man, if he plays until 50. <laughs> Man. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, we laugh, but I swear he'll try. He will. He yeah. will. He'll try. But his, I, we know his body will probably give up on him. Yeah. He'll probably hear us saying this, and he'll probably work his body even more to better lengths. And- All I got to say, man, is maybe there is something to this avocado ice cream and avocado tequila. I mean, maybe there's something <laughs> to it. I, I, I see, like, J.C. Cornell and Steve Shea and others have done the TB12 method. And if we start seeing them, like, suddenly cranking things out in the gym, like, maybe there's something to this. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I here's the thing. I love Tom Brady. A lot of people hate him because he's just so damn good. And he will end his career as the greatest of all time. I mean, just appreciate the greatness while it's here, you know. Yeah. I, it, it is what it is. All right. I want to talk about Dak Prescott. I think it's time to move on to that. Um, I talked about him a little bit on my previous episode of the podcast. And, you know, I, I saw on Twitter probably, well, I think it was last week I tweeted out, okay, Panther fans, just imagine this. This was before Dak signed his, ex- his extension. Dak Prescott in Carolina. Panthers fans went nuts. Good and bad. The bad ones were like, Dak Prescott's not a quarterback that can lead you to wins. He's surrounded by great weapons and a good offensive line. That's been his key to success. I mean, if we're being honest, is that every quarterback's deal ordeal? I mean, you have good weapons, you have a good offensive line, you got you're going to be good. You're going to look good. Same, that was the ordeal with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's the ordeal with, you know, Teddy Bridgewater. He looks solid around good, good offense around him. 
good coaching around him. But here's what I'll have to say to that, and I said this in the podcast on Tuesday. Dak Prescott is a guy you can win with and a guy that can help you win games. That is a guy that you win because of. As he has become that type of player over the last couple of years. Now, if you told me this 2018, I would have been like, I don't know. I'm hesitant about that. Now, today, with what we've seen over the last couple of seasons, yes, that signing is absolutely worth it. He is one of the top ten quarterbacks in this league, and I truly believe he can lead Dallas to a Super Bowl. At some point, it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Jared. Um, you know, I, I think you're talking about a guy that had three postseason games, 64% completion percentage, 794 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions. I mean, he was a big reason they won that Seattle playoff game a couple of seasons ago. They should have beat, in his rookie year, they should have beaten Green Bay. It was. It took a Rodgers being Rodgers kind of moment for Green Bay to win that game. And look, if they if they beat Green Bay, they get to an NFC Championship game. Who knows? You know, right. who knows what happens? And so we might be having an entirely different conversation if Aaron Rodgers isn't Aaron Rodgers. I think you're exactly right. You framed it perfectly. Jack Prescott is a quarterback you win because of. Like mm-hmm. at the start of his career, he was a guy you win with. But this is sort of that rookie quarterback path, right? You have them on the rookie deal. You hope you could win with them when you can build around them and you win games with this guy. But you hope by the end of that deal and it's time to give him the extension that he becomes the guy you win games because of. And I think that's where he is right now. You look at what he was doing last year before the injury. You know, Dallas with some of those wins, some of those losses, some of the comebacks, the game against Atlanta where I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Anticipation throws in the middle of the field between defenders, checking a lot of the boxes that people still have on him as unchecked. I think this makes sense from Dallas's perspective. I think you look around the quarterback landscape right now. Every team is trying to get that elite talent at the quarterback position. If you don't have it, you've got to go get it. That's what Dak is. And sure, you look $75 million next year, $125 million over the next two, and the sticker price is like, wait a second, this is a lot of money. Give it six months. Six months from now, it's not going to look expensive at all. Right. Like, Josh Allen's going to get a new deal. Mark Jackson's going to get a new deal. What do you think those guys are going to get, right? They're probably going to get $200 million contracts. Yeah. And so that's where these are headed. And if you think this is expensive, try finding a new quarterback because that could be even more expensive. Because say Dallas decides we're going to let Dak walk, right? We'll maybe draft somebody at 10. Maybe we'll sign Cam Newton. Maybe we'll sign somebody else. And it doesn't work out. Then what are you doing in two years? You're paying $150 million to a quarterback. Like, You've got the guy, don't let him walk. I'm sure a lot of Dallas fans are wary that, like, yeah, we saw what happened with Goff. We saw what happened with Wentz. A different quarterback. Different this, quarterback. And so, Prescott is the best quarterback from that draft class. Yeah, and I ranked him like QB 15. So <laughs> maybe you shouldn't listen to what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I missed, I missed wildly on Dak. The, the yeah. reason I missed on Dak, and I had it in my notes, and I've written about this, the competitive toughness, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I had it in my notes, but I didn't weigh it enough. I didn't give it enough weight. The next year, my QB1 was Deshaun Watson because of competitive toughness. Like, you learn from mistakes when you right. do this. Like, and Prescott's lesson to me was 
you know, a lot of what people think matters at the quarterback position is arm talent and athleticism. A lot of it matters what's inside, too. Yes. Um, and when I saw Prescott at Mississippi State this junior year, when they had a chance to beat Alabama, and he was getting roughed up, but he kept fighting in that game, wouldn't quit, fought until the last play, would fight on, the, you know, on an individual down-to-down basis. I, I noticed it. I wrote it down. I've got it in the article. I took a screenshot of my notes, um, but I didn't wait it enough. That matters too. And so when you start looking at a guy like Justin Fields, throw six touchdowns on basically a you know broken rib, whatever happened in that Clemson game. Not to bring up a Clemson game. I'm sorry, my friend, but just for the point, you know <laughs> that has to matter. That matters. And so competitive toughness. You know, look what we just got done saying about Brady, right? And Brady's ability to self-motivate in that competitive toughness angle with him, it's the same with Prescott. So it's a lot of money, but he's worth it. I I think Dallas can be a playoff team next year, only if they get that defense right. Yeah, I mean, but but with this now, they've got the opportunity to get that defense right. Like right. you and I have probably seen all the same mock drafts that have to go in defense, 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 defense like defense. first, second, and third round. Like they've got to get the defense right. Now you don't have to worry about going and getting a quarterback and maybe trading up from 10 and giving up some of those picks. You can just go defense. Right. And I, I feel like Dallas is already a playoff team with Dak at quarterback. Like yeah. because he is that type of guy now. He is that type of guy that gives you a chance every single game. And that's what I, I have loved to – I have been amazed by Dak Prescott's progression from his rookie year to now to see where he is right now. It's just absolutely incredible. Like it's – I think it's a much it, – in some ways it's kind of similar to how Russell Wilson kind of developed. But, you know, Dak kind of – I felt like Dak developed quicker in a sense, I feel like just because of the offense around him, um, the weapons he had, um, and of course the offensive line, the running game, like he, they were able to develop him because of what he brought to the table. Right. And now that he is basically at full growth, like we're seeing what that player is right now. We're seeing a very, very good quarterback in the NFL. I, I think Dak will be. I think at some point he 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 will be considered one of the better quarterbacks in the league, like a top five quarterback. Yeah, I think so too. I I think we might be in sort of the Dak timeline, even though he's a year behind in terms of when he came out. We might be sort of in that way we were, say, a year ago with Deshaun Watson, because now everybody has Watson sort of in that top five. But I think before last season, people were like, "Yeah, he's good." Um, but then you saw what he did last year. And he took this huge leap. We might be in that sort of time frame now with Dak, where at the end of like next year, people say, "Yeah, he's there now." Um, so I think that's coming. Man, the weapons he has right now—the best eleven person. Well, I don't. It might. It's probably the best eleven personnel trio of receivers. I think Denver's is very good too. Um, but yeah, it's a great group. Add C.D. Lamb, yeah, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper. You add a good tight end to that group. Yep. Yep. And you got Zeke, if he can get the fumbles right, man. I mean, I would run 11 personnel all day yep. long, man. Like, that, that's with those type of weapons, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I'm getting a call for some reason. I don't know why. I just hung up. But, but 
Um, all right. I want to talk about the top quarterbacks of this draft class. Um, you have watched um, probably the consensus the consensus top five of Lawrence Fields, Wilson, Lance, Jones. I have watched all five as well. I got done with Jones, I think, Monday night. So I'm based, I think I'm set with my top five QBs. Um, my top five QBs right now, Lawrence, um, he has a perfect grade for me. Like the best quarterback I've ever evaluated since I started this in 2018. Um, and like I, I tweeted that out month when I got done with Lawrence's evaluation and people were like, you, you think he's the best quarterback you've evaluated since Andrew Luck? I'm like, I'm really wasn't into the draft at, around that time, but I've learned from that. But you know, anyways, I got Fields right behind him, QB two, QB three, Zach Wilson. Um, all three had um, high first round grades. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was the only quarterback of that group with a top 10 grade of like a top 10 talent grade. Um, Trey Lance got a second round grade for me. I have it pulled up right here. Yeah, he got a early second round grade for me. Um, and I tweeted that out too. And people were like, whoa, whoa, why are you grading him so low? Like, I like Trey Lance, but I'm being objective here. That's just part of the process. Then I got Mac Jones with a third round grade. So that's how I view the um, top five quarterbacks right now. So there's, you've seen this narrative of Justin Fields, one read quarterback, can't read the field well. I don't know where that's coming from. Like, well, I kind of do because a lot, he had a lot of, like predetermined stuff too, like Lawrence did. Yep. But he, both Lawrence and Fields' offense were entirely different. So I want you to explain to the listeners, like how both Lawrence and Fields saw the field differently and why the narrative of Fields being a one read quarterback is false. Yeah. And I, I think when I watched Fields last summer, uh, the concerns I had on him from a mental perspective were more of the process and speed than the read in the field realm. You know, the way I termed it was playing quarterback is a test. It's a it's an examination. It's like taking a test, but it's not a take home test, right? You don't get eight hours or twenty four hours to do it. It's an hour. It's the clock is ticking. You got to get to the right answers quickly. And if you watch him in his first game against Clemson, again I'm bringing up Clemson again. Um, <laughs> he would get to the right answers, but sometimes it was a step too late. But then you watch that second game against Clemson, and he's getting to the right answers when he needs to get to them. Now, it, it, a lot of people say, oh, well, it's just one read stuff. It's predetermined stuff. Do you think that's any different in the NFL? Like, not every no. NFL offense has you rutted a pure progression read on every single play. A lo- Last week, the people at Huddle put on their Huddle Blitz 21, where they had – it was basically like a week-long virtual coaching clinic, and you could see Steve Sarkeesian talk about RPOs. You could listen to high school defensive coordinators talk about defending the RPO. One of the first things I, I watched was Charles Davis and Kirk Cousins talking about how they watched film. And there wasn't a ton to learn from that, but one of the things that Cousins talked about was the three kinds of reads. 
you know, the three kinds of like progression reads you have as a quarterback. You have a man zone read, you have a shell read and a pure progression read. Like those are the three. And on that man zone read, you know, if it's man coverage, you're thrown to one side. If it's zone coverage, you're thrown to the other side. Like you've got concepts built into beat ball. And so what you do depends on what the defense is showing you. The shell read, if it's cover two, you do one thing. If it's cover three, do another. And then you have the pure progression reads where it's like no matter what, you read it one, two to three. And so that's an NFL quarterback who is highly regarded as one of the smarter guys to play the position telling you that on some t- on some plays, it's predetermined where you're going to go with the football based on what the defense is showing you. And it's the same thing. Look, I've got Ohio State's playbook within my arm's reach right now. And mm-hmm. I, I've done videos on what Fields has done. And on some plays, look, if it's covered too, like you're, you're throwing the pivot route to the check down. Like that's what you right. do. And it's different if it's covered three. Um, and so even in the games where he struggled, like you bring up Fields and everybody says Northwestern Indiana, right? Those are the two next words out of anybody's mouth. I did an entire video breakdown of that Indiana game. Even in that game where he was supposedly bad, he's still working through reads. He's still working through progressions. Like I had those reservations about Fields last year. I don't now. Like he's answered those questions. So he's my QB too, much like yours. In terms of both of those guys and what they were asked to do, like those offenses tried to make it easy on their quarterback, which, by the way, is the job of their coaches. Like, right. you exactly. Just because you have a great talent, you don't have to make life hard for them to make everybody in the draft community feel better about their draft stock. Why are you going to do that? If you could design an offense where he could throw slot fade or he could throw f- five-step RPO glances all the time, then do it. Like you don't have to artificially make life harder on them. And so were there times when Ju- when Justin Fields or Trevor Lance got to the line of scrimmage and knew, oh, uh, this is the route I'm throwing based on what I'm seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so when they were, what you want to look for when everybody who's listening to this does their own work on these guys, find examples of them doing that stuff, the full field progression reads. You will see that from Lawrence. You will see it from Fields. One of my favorite throws of his is a whole shot against Rutgers along, along the right sideline where he works. That. Full field comes late, whole shot. And it's just like, yeah. what else do you need to see? Like, that's what you want to see. Like you want to find examples of it. And are those examples enough to make you think that this can be developed and worked upon and improved at the National Football League level? Look, all five of these guys are going in the first round. All five of them are going to go in the first round for a reason. They're all good quarterback to great quarterback prospects. And I'm with you. Like in the time that I've been doing this, like Lawrence is the best that I've scouted. Um, and I've been doing it a little bit longer than you. Not that much longer, but a little bit longer. Like my first cycle was Mariota and, uh, and, oh, okay. and Winston. That was my first cycle doing this sort of professionally. Now, in terms of watching the draft, like, yeah, I, I go way back. I mean, I'm somebody that said Rick Meyer over Drew Bledsoe. So, again, I've got misses, but I was in high school at the time. Right. Um, imagine draft dra- Twitter around that time. Man, some of the takes. Joe. <laughs> oh, the, the, the Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning draft would have been oh, perhaps man. a tremendous one for draft Twitter. Like, that's one that I think people would have, oh, the takes would have been flying. The takes would have been flying. Um, no, but these, these are all great quarterback prospects, but I, I think a lot of the narrative on fields is a bit outdated in a sense, in the sense that like, yeah, there were these concerns about him that were valid. And is he perfect? No. But I think he answered a lot of those questions going into this year and coming out of this year, at least in my mind. I, I did say Trevor Lawrence did have a perfect grade for me, but that doesn't mean he's not a perfect 
quarterback. I mean, right. he he has his own flaws too. Yeah. Um, and so did, so does Fields. So does Wilson, Lance, Jones. I mean, they all have their flaws. They're not going to be a a perfect product coming into the NFL. They're not a finished product coming into the NFL, right. like you were saying. And I. The whole thing of the the narrative that Justin Fields can't read the field well, only a one-read guy, completely false. If you watch the tape, he is going through progressions all the time. I mean, he does not have a problem with that. I think he has – there were times where he had too much confidence in his arm at times from what I saw, um, especially the Indiana game when um, his first interception. Yep, exactly. exactly. um, He he just had too much confidence in his arm, thought he could place the ball where he thought he could place it, and it was just a bad decision. He threw it late, and it had the results, of course, that we saw. Um, But I think the reason why some people say that Fields is a one-read quarterback is because he's always staring down some of his top targets. But – from what I learned from Nate Tice is that Ohio State's off a lot of what Ohio State ran was a lot of receiver options. Um, and sometimes that forced Fields to having to wait and see what route his receivers were going to run. His top two receivers were Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Like those were the two most productive guys on that offense. Um, up until probably Trey Sermon later on in the season. He had a phenomenal run um, later on in the season. But anyways, like you have to understand what type of offense that Ohio State runs. And Justin Fields is not like any other Ohio State quarterback that's come through. No. Completely different. He is a true elite talent at the quarterback position. And I think in any other draft class – he would be quarterback number one. I yep. think he 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 probably would have been QB one last year if if he played like he did this year last year. Yeah, he would have been QB one for yeah. sure. He would have been QB one um, in the 2018 class. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's just it, it 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 can get annoying seeing all these narratives and having to disprove them and all that, but you know, it is what it is. Twitter's going to be Twitter. Fans are going to be fans. It it is what it is. I want to talk about Trey Lance. Do you think people are saying he's not really a, well, he's, he's raw, but I saw um, Corey Keenan, um, someone I respect. Um, He, he was, he's talked about how Lance is, um, he is probably a he's he's more pro ready than we realize. Do you think that's the case? Is do do you think Lance has a chance at starting as soon as he gets into the league, or do you think he may need time? I think Jared, a lot of it will depend on where he ends up. Um, right. I said last summer. And obviously, look, last summer, it's almost as complete as you're going to get with an evaluation on him because he just had the one game. But I said last summer that, like, he could step into some offenses and run it now, particularly San Francisco. I think you look at that 49ers offense, what Kyle Shanahan wants to do with his fullback, with his running backs, with his tight ends, and he could run that right now. 
And so I think in some circumstances he can play right away. And I do think he's more pro-ready than people give him credit for. His pro days today, we're recording this on Friday. Yeah. But Thursday, his quarterback's coach, Randy Hedberg, met with the media over Zoom. And he was asked a ton of questions. A lot of them get into how pro-ready is he. You know, and I just want to read some of what he said in a response to him sort of being asked, like, what Lance had to do from a pre-snap standpoint. Um, he was able to check into run plays against pressure looks. Those are things he's able to do and process quickly at the line of scrimmage. Not a lot of quarterbacks are able to do that. He was able to do it in our system. They gave him the opportunity at the line of scrimmage. Um, same thing they did with Easton Stick. Same thing they did with Carson Wentz. And again, Lance is doing it as a freshman. Um, our offense puts a lot of emphasis on the quarterback process and the line of scrimmage with protections. They have an option to set the protections more often than not, and then they have the option of change of protections. We also have a kill system and a maybe system, which gets them into run versus pass, pass versus pass to run, run to pass, whatever it is based on on different alignments of the defense. So that's part of our game, which I also think the quarterbacks are really good at, but it's no different. We did the same thing with Easton, and we did the same thing with Carson Wentz, and those were guys that were seniors when they left. This is a guy that was a redshirt freshman into his redshirt sophomore year. Um, they asked a ton of him at the line of scrimmage. Right. And the other thing that Randy said was the verbiage. And this gets into sort of the whether he's pro-ready, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is this, and I'm trying to find the actual answer here. Um, I can't quite put my finger on it, but basically – he was making the case that, like, look, our play calling, our name and structure, our convention and all that stuff, it's a lot different than what these other guys are doing. These other guys are, like, looking to the sideline and looking at pitchers, right? No, he, he's doing that with the NFL verbiage, West Coast verbiage. Oh, okay. here it is. We're able to verbalize in the huddle where most quarterbacks don't. They aren't in a huddle in college anymore. They're looking at signs on the sideline and not dictating what protections are in place. We verbalize the play in the huddle, and I think that's one thing that will be a plus for Trey at the next level. He's done that in our system. And so I think he's a lot more pro-ready than people are giving him credit for. Now, a lot of this mirrors, obviously, the Carson Wentz discussion, because when Wentz was coming out, there were a lot of people saying, oh, it's North Dakota State, it's an FCS school. He was pro-ready. Um, and I think Lance is more pro-ready than people are giving him credit for. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not in that system where he's looking at the sideline for, you know, the, the play cards and stuff. He's setting protections. He's making checks. He's making calls. He's making kills and babies. I, I think that look, that should put teams at ease about him. Now, is it going to do it? Maybe, maybe not. But it just takes one team. And so I think, yeah, I think he's more pro-ready than people are, are giving him credit for. I mentioned to Panthers fans last night right before I went to bed to consider the possibility of the Panthers trading up not just not for Fields or Wilson, but for Trey Lance, because they may feel like they may feel the same way that, you know, Lance is more pro ready than we realize. Um, you know, Bridgewater's their quarterback. Of course he's probably going to start week one more than likely, whatever happens. Um, unless Lance really does impress in camp and would beat him out, assuming that the Panthers end up tra- training up for Lance and drafting him and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think Lance in some ways, and I think Corey was um, talking about this too, is that he, in a lot of ways, he's kind of similar to what people thought of Justin Herbert last year in the way that like Herbert, 
wasn't really given a lot of opportunities in that offense to really do a lot of what we saw this past season during his rookie year. Um, and then we see all, we see how successful he was to start his career, like throwing for, I think, 4,000, over 4,000 yards, yep. 30 plus touchdowns. Like he balled out and people were like, Oh my gosh, where did this come from? We didn't see this at Oregon. Oregon's offense ran so many screens that I could count. I mean, it ran a lot out of the pistol. From what I saw, it, it was just – I felt like they were misusing Herbert so much last year. And I was tempted to really grade him higher, but, you know, I wanted to be objective. I was like, you know, I'm just going to stick with the grade here. I'll deal with the consequences if I'm wrong about this, you know, and definitely I was wrong. I think Herbert looks like the real deal. Um, and I think this is going to be the same thing with Trey Lance. Um, but in, it, it's kind of different in a way, like you were talking about that he, because the verbiage, um, the way they ran their offensive protections and whatnot, it's, it's going to be, it's different with Lance because he under, he, he's going to be more pro ready at the next level. He's, he's going to understand what's going to come. Yep. Herbert, I think took a while because of the system he came from at Oregon. He didn't. Start immediately. He didn't start until week two. I mean, that's not that's early, but still, he didn't start right away. Um, and we now all we all saw what happened. So I I think if and yeah, if Lance goes to San Francisco, I think he's going to succeed right away. Um, I'm curious for Panthers fans. Do you think he could fit in Joe Brady's offense? Yeah, I, I think so. And you know. When you look at Brady's offensive structure, it's a lot of the stuff we talked about. It's a lot of the, you know, doing some empty stuff, man, zone beaters and things like that. You know, I, I think Brady's smart enough to tailor the offense to what Trey Lance will do. So I think you'll see some under center stuff. You'll see some deep shots off of play action. You'll see them getting the tight ends and the running backs certainly involved in the passing game. And so, look, I, I think if Trey Lance somehow finds his way to Carolina, Panthers sh- fans should be excited. Um, about the future because I think he's a tremendously talented quarterback. I think he fits sort of where the game is going. A lot of people have made the Dak Prescott comparison, and I, I think there's some Dak to his game with his athleticism. You know, I, I think Matt Waldman said last summer he compared him to, to Steve McNair. Um, and some other people, Daniel Jeremiah recently has said Steve McNair, and I think that's very apt um, because there are times when you can see him run people over in the, in the field. Uh, with the football in his hands. And now he shouldn't do that at the next level because you need to stay healthy. Um, <laughs> right. But but look, I, I, he's a tremendously talented kid. Um, I think he's going to be successful in the NFL. Um, but a lot of it will, again, come down to coaching. I think Joe Brady, this Panthers offense, with what they can put around him, would be a good landing spot for him for sure. Um, all right, so Mac Jones. There's been hype days they could end up being a top 10 pick. And that's the hype I don't I you've probably seen on my timeline that I do not agree with at all. There have been mock drafts where the Panthers either draft Jones at eight or they trade back for him at eight. And I'm like, they're really going from one physically limited quarterback to another. Like I'm just not comfortable with that. I would be comfortable if the team was in a lot better shape than they are right now, like ten times better than they are right now. 
and they're like a quarterback away, like a solid quarterback away, like Mac Jones, but they're not. They need a quarterback that can, that has a playmaker in the pocket. Fields, Wilson, Lance, Lawrence. Those are the guys that fit that narrative. I mean, of course, Lawrence is definitely not going to be available once Carolina's on the right. clock. Um, you know, preseason, you hoped, you know, you hoped, I hoped, I, I won't lie. Um, I kind of predicted Caroline to have the top pick, um, because I really wanted Lawrence so bad. Right. Really right. wanted him. Um, but you know, I think, sure, could Mac Jones fit in Joe Brady's offense? Yes. But what the Panthers asked for, what rule, what rule and fitter have asked for are quarterbacks that can make accurate throws on all levels of the field. And can make all the throws on all levels of the field. Don't think Jones can do that. I think he's accurate for sure, but he is, but that arm fades out once the ball starts going 30, 40 yards downfield, in my opinion. He, he's a great touch pass quarterback. Great, smart quarterback. I like him. I like him a lot. I think if he's taking 15 through 32, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Top 10, 15 earlier. Yes. No, no, not. I'm not there. I'm not there. Yeah. I mean, he's going to go in the top 15 of the draft. Um, you know, like you, I've showed, I've got him a QB five. I think he's more of a second round pick. Um, but we know how quarterbacks get sort of driven up the board because of the positional need. You know, I think the reason why I prefer the other four quarterbacks is that I think they can transcend yes. what's around them and transcend the playbook. I'm not so sure that Jones can. I think in that sort of guy you win with versus guy you win because of discussion, how you put it with Dak, he's Jones is more that guy you win with. Like yeah. he's Kirk Cousins plus. Like that's kind of where he is. And that's still okay. And that yeah, still might absolutely. be worth a first round pick. But I think you need to have the team in a much better position if you're gonna go in on Mac Jones. Um I was recently talking to Jordan Reed from the Draft Network, yeah. and he said of Jones, you need to have the three P's right. Playmakers, protection, and playbook. Like I saw, I saw those. that. I, I was actually, like, after I looked at, after I did Mac Jones's um, evaluation, I went to see what Jordan had on his report on the Draft Network, yeah. and he, he listed out those three P's. He good players around him, good coaching, protection. Yeah. Play calling. I mean, that's what you need for Mac Jones. Yeah. And so, like, a team like Washington that made it to the playoffs last year has a great defense. You expect them to add some pieces on offense. They brought Brandon Sheriff back. Like, that might be a good environment for Mac Jones because he could come in, and if it's third and seven and you don't like it, just throw it away and let your defense get back on the field. Like, that's sort of the Russell Wilson at the start of the Legion of Boom era kind of quarterback that could work now when you hope that by the end of his rookie contract and it's time to pay him, he's filled in the pieces and the blanks on his own evaluation. Maybe the arm's gotten a little bit better, get himself into an NFL workout regimen and training camp. Um, you put some playmakers around him and things like that. It could be successful early while he sort of builds out the rest of his game. Um, I think in a situation like Carolina, like you said, where, yeah, there are some weapons and, yeah, the playbook could be good, you still get some questions about it. The team's not quite as ready. And is he, are you going to be able to put a good enough structure around him that you can win games with him? I'm not as sure. Um, you know, New England at 15, even with this Cam Newton news, like I think it could make sense because um, we expect New England to get a little bit better. Um, so I think, you know, 
is there a path for Cam- for Mac Jones to be a good NFL quarterback? Absolutely. Um, but I think he's a bit more dependent on the environment around him than the other four guys. I think the other four guys are, you know, wherever Le- we know where Lawrence is going to go, but the other guys too, Wilson Fields, Lance, like I think they can make it work even if everything's not right around them. Jones, I have, you know, less confidence in that happening. Last quarterback I want to talk about, and we did touch up on Lawrence a little bit, but I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence. What are what are your true concerns with Lawrence at the next level? Like the the stuff you would say, okay, this could be a problem at the next level for Lawrence. I mean, there's not much that I'm really concerned about from Lawrence in terms of the next level. I mean, I think there were moments when it almost looked to me like he was bored, where it almost looked to me like he was just like, this is too easy. Yeah. I mean, are, are, are there like he had the interception against I think it was Virginia Tech in the in the mm-hmm. end zone where he didn't like freeze the safety in the middle of the field he just locked on to it like that was a bad play um, he had some misses in the middle of the field the intermediate area of the field like yeah you know you like to see him be a bit more accurate um, but even even the Ohio State game I thought that game got out of hand from when their defense was on the field more than anything else I, I thought Lawrence. Um, was still very good in that game with what he was able to do and the moments he was able to do them. When he's outrunning Baron Brown into the edge for a touchdown, like he's athletic as all get out. And that's that's the thing that makes him QB1 in my mind, is that take any offense in the National Football League, he can run it. You could drop him into what yes. Herbert was doing last year, vertical shots off of play action and stuff like that. He could run it. You could drop him into New England, sort of that quick ball control passing game. He could run it. You could drop him into Jacksonville's before they get rid of Gruden, that West Coast stuff. He could run it. You could drop him into Baltimore and say, exactly. we're going to ask you to be a runner, run and he could run it. Like He had a run against Ohio State that was seven yards, and I was like, this is one of the best quarterback runs I've ever seen because he's setting up blocks. He's got vision as a ball carrier. Like, he's scheme transcended. All the other guys in this class, fields on down, you need – like, they could be good in almost any scheme, but you, you they're a bit more scheme dependent. Lawrence, I think, would be good almost any way you drop him. And what, what, it was Matt Waldman who told me last summer, like, he could run Baltimore's offense, and I hadn't even thought about that, but I was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like he could, he could do anything. That's, and that in large part is why I think he's QB1, because there are more pathways for him to be successful. The other guys need a bit more of a clearer path for them. And so I think, I think he's fantastic. I mean, uh, is he perfect? No. Um, is he generational? Maybe we got too, you know, ahead of our skis on that one. Best yeah. since luck? Maybe. I don't know, but he's the best in this class and I don't think you should overthink it. Lawrence is he he definitely looks like a quarterback that you will win games because of. Yeah. I think I'm not crazy. Am I crazy to say he can be a guy that you can win games because of in his rookie year? You think he can You don't think so? No, I don't think you're crazy saying that at all. Oh, okay. I don't think you're crazy saying that at all. And the other thing is, look, Jacksonville has the most cap space in the league. Jacksonville has 6 picks in the top 100. Jacksonville I said this on an earlier show this week. Jacksonville could be a playoff team next year. Like, I honestly believe that because they have so much draft capital. They have so much cap space. And if Lawrence is as good as we think he's going to be, like, that's a team that I think could win 10 day, 10 games next year. 
Like, imagine what that team's going to look like. Say they sign Kenny Galladay. Say they sign Hunter Henry. Like, now you've got DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, Kenny Galladay, Hunter Henry, James Robinson, Trevor Lawrence. That, that's that's a good offense. Your defense won't be that their, great. Their defense won't be that great, but it might not matter if you've got that on offense. And so, you know, you look around the rest of the uh, rest of that division, you know, Indianapolis, who knows what they're going to get from Carson Wentz. Houston is an absolute train wreck of a dumpster fire. Um, and, and then you look at, you know, yeah, Tennessee, we expect them to still be good, but they took a bit of a step back last year. And how much is, you know, the, the Arthur Smith departure take away from that offense? Um, Jacksonville could be a playoff team next year. I know it sounds crazy, but I don't think it's that outlandish. Um, look, Trevor Lawrence, like, because I'm a Clemson fan, I've seen all of his games. I've watched him since he first stepped onto the field. Um, I think it was week one, um, 2018. He stepped on the field. They, I mean, they were... They were playing Lawrence and Kelly Bryant at the same time. Like, he was making throws against Texas a and I was like, holy shit, this dude is amazing. Of course, and now we've seen what he looks like now. I'm – people – some people perceive Lawrence as more of a pocket passer quarterback that can really just make all the throws, can really do so much. But they forget he can be such a damn good runner. Yeah. And I'm like – you look at the runs against he he's had against Ohio State, including that big sixty yard run against Ohio State in the twenty nineteen playoffs. I'm like, holy cow! Like, I'll tell you this right now. I saw that run. I was sprinting around my house because I was like, I've never seen a quarterback run that fast against a defense like Ohio State. Then, like, it it was just mind blowing. I'm like, what can't this guy do? What can't yeah. this guy do? You know, I, I don't have really many concerns about Lawrence. I don't, I have very few concerns. I think people that have Trevor Lawrence as QB2 are really nitpicking him badly. Yeah. Um, I saw a few people have Trevor, have Zach Wilson as QB1. I'm not there. Wilson. I love him to death. Accurate, great arm mechanics need work. A lot of work. His pocket awareness needs work. Yeah. Um, like he he scrambled out free out of clean pockets too many times. Yeah. But he's still a great quarterback, and he can develop develop into a really good one. He's not Patrick Mahomes, so I don't think he's going to be a Patrick Mahomes quarterback. The play style, I'm not there. I'm not there at all. I'm just not. Yeah, um, and and I think Jared, I think a lot of the Wilson QB one discussion is in a sense a reaction or maybe an overreaction to the Mahomes situation and evaluation yes. because I think a lot of people didn't think that Mahomes and his play style was going to work, and now they're seeing a guy that I think we could say in, with some definitiveness models his game after Mahomes. Like, we're starting to see the crop of quarterbacks. Like, you know, Justice Muscata said it a couple years ago, and I think it's such a great point. The guys that grew up watching uh, Montana, like Brady, like, they're getting phased out. Then we saw the guys that grew up watching Favre, you know. Now we're going to start seeing the guys that grew up watching Mahomes. 
and wanted to be Patrick Mahomes, that were kids running around in their, you know, backyards in high school, just being like, I'm Patrick Mahomes. Like, you know, when Kobe passed away, everybody thought about, you know, when you're throwing a piece of paper in the trash can, you always say Kobe. But when you're running around in the backyard now and you try to make a ridiculous throw, you're saying Mahomes, right? That's what these kids are doing. And so, yeah, Wilson has certainly modeled his game after Mahomes. But he's not where Mahomes was. Mahomes had a method to his madness when he was coming out of Texas Tech. And if he was trying something silly, like he knew why. Like he knew what he could and couldn't get away with. And sometimes he maybe pushed the boundaries too much. But you saw how it could work in the right system with the right coach that believed in him and didn't try to rein him in. That's what he found in Andy Reid. I think with Wilson, he certainly wants to be that kind of player. But there, it's not as clear a path for him. Like you said, there are times when he makes ridiculous throws outside of the pocket, but he didn't need to leave the pocket. There right. are times when he does things in the structure of the offense which are good, but I don't know if it's sustainable at the next level. Half-roll boot against North Alabama, throws the post route over the top, and it's a great catch and double coverage. The dig route's open over the middle. Like, those are the things that I think he needs to sort of clean up. You don't need to take the high right reel throw. Take the dig route over the middle that's open. Take the curl route over the middle when it's open. Don't make it harder on yourself. I think that's the thing he needs to sort of balance right now. I'm not sure he does. If he does, he'll be great. Um, but I'm not sure he does. And so I think he's going to need that sort of right environment around him, the right coaching and developmental system around him. I still think he's a very good quarterback. I love the arm talent, the athleticism, the the swagger, the the arm aggression, um, as Jordan Reed put it. Um, But there are certainly some things he needs to improve on, get better at. I don't think he's near where Mahomes was coming out. I love Mahomes. He was my QB too, but I'm not there with Wilson as I was with Mahomes. And I'm trying to explain in that similar fashion to people that not – any QB you see making like insane throws like Wilson saw, he's not Patrick Mahomes 2.0. Right. We won't see another Patrick Mahomes because he is a special talent. We knew he was a special talent when he came through, but he was very raw and needed work. And I, he still needs some work now, yeah. but he is so good. He has developed exceptionally well. Yeah. And it, and it comes out, and like any other rookie quarterback that comes in, into the league and has great success, it comes down to the situation. What are your receivers like? What are your play callers like? What is the protection like? It all comes down to the situation of the team. Yep. That's how six, yep. That's how we see successful quarterbacks now. I, I keep telling people, John Ledger tweeted it out um, I forget exactly. It, it was when Chris Sims came out with his rankings and he had Kellen oh, Mond QB4, like whatever. <laughs> Redner tweeted out basically that like, you know, what matters more than anything else is landing spot, scheme fit, coaching staff. Yes. And, you know, you and I and everybody else, we can yell and scream about rankings, but none of that matters. Like none of it matters. Eat at Arby's because, you know, the guy that lands in the best spot is going to be the most successful guy. You know, whether that's Lawrence at one fields to Carolina, like Max Jones to New England, who knows? Um, but the guy that ends up in the best spot for them with the best support system around them is probably going to be the guy that's going to be the best when all is said and done. And so rankings are fun. We love to yell and scream about them. But scheme fit, landing spot, coaching, all that stuff, that's what really matters. I, I, I totally agree. Um, when you, like, we're still talking and, like, we're 
looking back at some of the other quarterback classes, you're seeing we're still discussing like who's the truly the best quarterback from the 2018 draft class because we yep. already know what Sam Darnold was like. Well, I, I would argue that the verdict's still out because he was put in a bad situation in yep. New York and needs yep. another chance at new in a, with a new team. But the discussion will still continue. Who was the best quarterback from that draft class? Was it Baker Mayfield? Was it Lamar Jackson? Was it Josh Allen? Or hopefully, if we see progress from Sam Darnold with a new team, is it Sam Darnold? Josh Roshan, all the way out. Big miss. Big, Huge. Big Huge. Mike QB1. Big miss. He was signed for Mike QB1 yeah. with Mayfield. I would like it, it is what it is. Yep. It was like pounding a table for Rosen before they traded him to Miami. I'm like, don't do this. Trust the quarterback. Let Rosen develop. Yep. It is what it is. You know, um, you, you were, you mentioned Jalen Phillips earlier. Um, and I want to talk about him real quick. This is the best pass rusher in the draft. Medicals aside, when I evaluated him, I'm like, what? This guy is good or very solid everywhere. Yeah. Good against the run. Good pass rusher. He's a good player all the way around. But the medicals are going to be concerning. If the medical medicals aside, ignore the medicals like they don't exist. How high would you take Jalen Phillips? Probably top ten. I, I mean, agree. I, I studying him like like there are some minor things that I think he could clean up. Like he's got a false step in his two point stance yes. that I think he could clean up. Um, to get even more explosive. Um, but I think that you see the hand usage, you see the pass rushing plan, you see the ability to counter, you see how Miami at times kicked him inside, and he was incredible when he was allowed to operate more as a three-tech working against guards. Um, you see how he handles against the run. I love his vision, you know, when he gets locked up and engaged. He keeps those eyes active to find where the ball is. And, you know, if, whether it's against the run, he can, you know, then scrape and shed. If it's against, you know, if quarterbacks drop him back, he can then counter and spin or whatever. I think he's he's got a good foundation and room to grow. And so if the medals check out, I think he's a top 10 guy. This is just a weird edge class, Jared, because, you know, a lot of people like Quiddy Payne. I think he's like a very solid player and he might have a very good floor and that might be comforting to people. Yeah. Um, the, the opinions are all over the place with this edge class. Yeah. I mean, Ojulari could be Ojulari. Is, is, he's got he's he's similar, right? And that he's got room to grow and to figure it out. Like I think there's some things he can do well, but I think he needs to fill in a lot of the questions. Yes. Like bend cornering, like I think it, it's a bit iffy right now. Um, he's more of a pure speed guy, I think. Yes. Like he's got some toolkit. He can do the lawn arm and stuff like yeah. that. But a guy I'm very intrigued. I was literally watching him on Thursday before his pro day numbers came out. But the the Texas kid, Joseph Osai. Um, I, I think yeah. you know forty one and a half inch vertical, like incredible athleticism, and he's still figuring it out. Like you watch him against Oklahoma State, there were some times that, you know, he's working against, you know, whether it's Jenkins, the the right tackle, or the other guy at left tackle. The other guy, the guy he's going against is in their pass set before his foot's off the ground. He's so slow coming off the ball at times. 
So he's still figuring it out. And if you get into that sort of second tier of guys, like after the first group, and you want a guy to sort of mold and develop, I like him early on day two. Um, but it, it, it's a strange edge group. Um, you know, Rousseau has got some flashes. Perkins, the Oklahoma kid, has some flashes. Um, the two Penn State guys, like, I don't know what to make of them. Um, I mean, they're, they're very, they're smaller. They're more speed guys. Um, I, I think Owe was better than zero sacks last year, but I don't know how much better. Um, it's just a weird edge group. Um, but I, I do think for me, look, Phillips is edge one. Um, if the medicals check out, I'm fine with him in the top 10. Yeah. Same here. Um, I, a take I have, and oh man, I'm tempted to do this in my next mock draft. The highest I think he could go is four to Atlanta. He could. I mean, look, if you're Atlanta and you think – We've seen crazier things. We've seen crazier things. If you're Atlanta and you think, look, we can get two more years or so out of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones um, in that offense, and you decide, look, we need to address defense, it's not crazy. I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on medicals. A lot of it's going to depend on how people feel about everything that happened at UCLA. But in terms of what he offers as a pass rusher, he's a top 10 talent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, trying to, where do I have him graded? Let me pull it up. Um, tier value chart. He is currently, um, yeah, he's current with the prospects I have graded right now. He's currently in my top 10. He's my ninth overall prospect at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I still have plenty this, of prospects. This is a passing league, and anytime we get into this discussion, I think of a moment when Dion Jordan was drafted, where he was drafted yes. all those years ago. I remember that. And Mike Mayock, in the immediate aftermath of that pick, said something to the effect of, we know what matters in the NFL, the pocket. You need a guy who can throw from it a guy that can protect it or five guys that can protect it and guys that can attack that spot. Like that's what matters in today's NFL. Phillips is one of the guys that can attack that spot. It's a passing league. Passing is king. And you need guys that can attack the quarterback and he can do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, to end this thing, what is some advice you would give to young talent or young draft evaluators out there? Like some of the young, like younger than me that are just starting to do this, um, wanting to learn about the quarterback position. What are some of the key, what are some of the main traits you need to look for at the quarterback position? What do you, what are some of the things you, you should and shouldn't do as a talent evaluator? Yeah. Um, it's a fascinating question and it's one that I'm constantly thinking for myself in terms of how I do it. Um, I think you need to know going in that you don't have all the information. You'll never get all the information and you are going to be wrong. I mean, we've talked, both you and I have talked about, not just on this show, but, you know, offline and stuff like that, about our mistakes, our misses and learning from those. I'm somebody that missed on Prescott. I'm somebody that missed on Rosen. I'm somebody that's going to miss on the guys in this class. But you have to sort of learn from that. And accept that going in that you are going to be wrong because the NFL has all those inf- all those bits of information and they get it wrong because ultimately we were talking about 21, 22, 23-year-old kids that are trying to figure out their life. And they're going from being the big fish in a big pond or a small pond, whatever the case may be, to suddenly having to learn on their own. 
and learn a new offense. And while they're doing that, become an adult. Insurance, buying a house, buying a condo, all of that stuff, they're now doing that too. So it's a, it's a life adjustment for them. For some guys, it works out. For some guys, it doesn't. And it goes the way of Paxton Lynch. And so, yeah, like there's a lot to get wrong. Um, now, the other thing that I want to stress in terms of quarterback evaluation is this. It is not a snap to whistle position. And what I mean by that is this. If you turn on a game and you say, look, I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch Trey Lance today and you start no taking when the ball is snapped, you've missed half of the battle because it is a huddle. If not a huddle to whistle position, it's a sideline to whistle position. So much of what quarterbacks are asked to do, both in the college game and now in the pro game, happens before the ball is snapped. Reading defenses, picking up on cues. So what I always try to do when I'm watching a quarterback is to put myself in their frame of mind when the ball is snapped. I look at the defense first. I look at where the safeties are, corners are. What are they telling me? What's the defensive front? What information does the quarterback have when the ball is snapped, and then you evaluate what they do on the given play. You know, if you're just focusing on the drop back and the throw, you're missing so much information that is so valuable and critical to the position. And so I think you have to start your process, however you do it, pen and paper, chart it on a computer, whatever. Look at what they have before the snap and how they then handle the play that unfolds. And so I think you have to focus on that part. And the other thing is this, and look, Everybody's different when it comes to Twitter and social media and things like that. Everybody has different personas and brands. And if you're if you're somebody that follows me, you know that I try to be like a, you know, the more nice guy. I don't get into Twitter arguments and things like that. Understand that potential employers are watching, you know, on social media. Um, I can't tell you, Jared, how many different people both with teams, associated with teams, associated with the league agents, players, how many different people have told me that they see it all. They see everything. Uh, you may think that coaches aren't on social media. Every NFL coach has a burner. I'm telling you that right now. Every general manager has a burner. I am telling you that right now. They see uh, it I will, I will all. Say so, I want to say something about that burner. Um, I heard – Scott Fitter from a press conference saying he sees stuff all over Twitter. I'm like, what is his burner account? I gotta know. I gotta know. You know, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. They all do. And so, you know, I, I know that Twitter takes on a life of its own. I know that Twitter beef is a thing. I know that people scream at each other all the time and I get that. I try to avoid it as much as I can. And maybe, you know, my method of making fun of myself more than anybody else um, is a way that it's done that. I mean, look, today I got the date wrong. And so, like, <laughs> I, I played a lot with it. Um, Are we sure it's March 11th? Well, so, we Shade, sure? my boy Shade Alexander, our buddy Shade, came out and said, actually, since it's the 377th day of March 2020, 2020 given that, you know, all this started last March, I'm not completely wrong. Um, so, but look – um. Understand that social media can be a force for good. Um, it's, it's linked me with Jared. It's open doors for me. It's open door. It can open doors for you. Um, but understand that everybody's watching. And so I always try to tell people 
and this is something that when I was practicing law as a lawyer, I would tell my clients before a trial, before a deposition, act like your mom's in the room. Act like your mom's watching. Don't do anything that would make your mom upset um, and behave that way on Twitter, and I think you'll be okay. Now, sure, if somebody comes after you and attacks you, yeah, I mean, push back a little bit. Stick to your conviction, convictions. Stick to your opinions. Like if somebody challenges you on opinion, like back it up. Um, but also be open-minded because we're talking about a game. We're talking about a sport. And chances are you're going to be wrong about some things. And you're not always going to be right. And even when you're right, there's still a lot of gray area. Like I have Lawrence QB1. Like people want to push back on that and have evidence that Zach Wilson is QB1. Like fine. Like we're talking about a game. And, and so, yeah, I understand what Twitter is. Like use it for good. Like don't take it too seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take the work seriously. Like that's the final bit of advice. Like take the work seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Again, it's just a game. Exactly. Um, I will admit that I have like flashed out on Twitter before. Like you, you see me in my Cam Newton tweets. I defend him furiously all the time. That's just, that's just me being the fan, being the supporter I am of him. I, 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 I'm still growing as a person mentally trying to be more mature. I try my hardest to be the nice guy on Twitter too. Like I want to respect everyone's opinions, blah, blah, blah. It's just like you want to respond so bad, but at the same time, you know that people are watching. Yeah. You know, like Your employers I, are watching. There, there are two analogies that I like to use with Twitter. First is Twitter is the proverbial 59 foot curveball, right? Mm-hmm. It looks fantastic coming in, but you swing at it and you're going to look like a fool. Like you, sometimes you got to let those pitches go. The other one, this is something that my, my good friend Chuck Zotter told me years ago. Um, if anybody's seen the movie War Games, that old 80s flick with Matthew Broderick about nuclear war and all that stuff, the game oh, ends. I think I've seen that. Maybe. Yeah. The game ends with a computer simulator being like, hmm, a curious game. Obviously talking about like global nuclear warfare and not playing on Twitter. But the computer just comes to the conclusion that this is a curious game. The only way to win is not to play. And that's kind of like Twitter, like, you know, Twitter beefs and all that stuff. Like they seem appetizing at the time. Like I can't tell you how many times scroll on my phone. I'm like, man, I, I want to lash out. Um, but there's no point. There's no point. Like life's too short. Yeah, life's too short. Like life is honestly too short um, to worry about like Twitter beef. Like, and again, the person that you want to lash out at or go back on or whatever, like they might have a point too. Um, so, you know, I, I know it's, I know it seems tempting at times. And look, this is just me. Other people will tell you different things. But for me, like I see somebody like say something silly about an article I write or a video I do or whatever. Just let it go. Like there, there's no point in it. Like you're not going to please everybody. You will never please everybody. Like I wrote something this week, 6,000 words on the future of football. And a lot of people loved it. Some people did it. That's okay. Like life goes on. Exactly. You just got to keep your head down. Yep. Keep grinding. Keep grinding. Like, yep. you know, do do the work. Take the work seriously. Take your process seriously. Mm-hmm. But don't take the rest of the stuff too seriously. And, you yeah. know, you'll be okay. And I've r- reminded people and, um, you know, like I'm currently in school. I'm currently in community college. I am dealing with homework all the time. I am dealing with, cl- with online classes, Zoom classes. It sucks. I'll tell yeah. you that right now. Yeah. Um, 
and also I'm dealing with college applications because I'm transferring to a four year after the summer. Um, so I'm dealing with all that on top of doing these draft evaluations as someone who's in college school is top priority for me always. And, and like, once you get all that done, because your schoolwork done, you can get to your favorite thing, the NFL yep. draft, evaluating prospects. I got spring break coming up in a few weeks, or in a couple weeks, actually. I'll be out of town. I'll have nothing else to do but just watch prospects. I got Wi-Fi. I'm all good. Watch prospects all day long. Catch up. Get. I want to get to at least 200 this year. I got 175 last year. I was hoping to get to 300, but I went through a rough period during the pandemic. Like I was in the right headspace, to be honest with you. And like, I like just didn't have the motivation to do draft um, evaluations up until like a few weeks before draft. And then I was like going hard every, like I didn't sleep a lot um, because I was watching prospects all night, but this year, you know, I'm in a better spot. I'm got a plan of what I want to do in terms of how I'm going to evaluate prospects this year. Like if I feel like I'm like, I'm exhausted from school. I don't feel like I just want to relax, not really just relax, Snapchat with my friends and all that. I'll probably do that instead of doing drive evaluation because I care about mental health. And yeah. I think that's another thing that young Young draft analysts need to understand is that your mental health matters. You need to make sure you're in the right place and also make sure not to bring your anger um, and what you're feeling online towards conversations. Yeah, that, that that's very toxic. That's that, why a lot of arguments have happened on Twitter. Yeah, I, I think that's all well said, Jared, because, like, you know, it's similar to the life's too short discussion, right? Like you've got to take care of yourself from a mental perspective and we're all going through a lot. Everybody's dealing with something. Um, you know, and I, I've talked a lot about my own sort of battles and struggles with mental health and anxiety and things like that. It's what brought me to doing this and leaving practice and law. Um, sometimes social media isn't a healthy environment and you need to be able to put the phone down and walk away. Sometimes, you know, you may feel like you have to sit down and watch prospects or you have to sit down and work or write or create. And if you're just not in the right place or headspace for that, the more productive thing is to walk away from it for a while. Um, you know, because if you sort of get sucked into this environment, you will, ne you will always and perpetually feel like you can't keep up. You're not good enough. Yeah. And Twitter is a is a mechanism that breeds that, you know, because when you are just sitting down, watching film, writing articles and things like that, it's you alone. But when you then log on to Twitter and you're scrolling through and you see what feels like thousands upon thousands of people out there working, you're going to feel helpless. You're going to feel like you can't compete. And I struggle with that, too. Like. There will be times when I will like sit down and read it. I'm like, I'll read something from Ben Solak. I'll read something from Seth Kalina. I'll listen to Nate Tice. I'll read yeah. something from Steven Ruiz. I'll then, you know, log on to Huddle and see Coach Vass talking about like Stubb and Stubby. And I'll be like, I can't compete with all this stuff. I just, I just can't do it. It can seem overwhelming. I feel that all the time. Yeah. And I constantly have to remind myself that I'm just one man. I'm just one person. Mm -hmm putting out yep. the work that I can put out. And if I get caught up in trying to compete with everybody else, 
I'm, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose just that be, battle. Just be you. Just, that's just be who you are. Um, do the work because, you know, if the work is good, people will read it and consume it. And that's all you should focus on. Don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing because that's a losing battle. Exactly. I, I'm, I am here to put my head down, do my own work, all that. And, um, like 2018, I, I, I was a junior in high school. You, 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 you and I know this right really well. I made a mistake. You reached out to me and you said, Hey, let's watch tape together. And you really helped change the way I evaluate the game really helped me put into perspective what I need to do. Just keep my head down and focus on what I need to do for myself as a, as a draft analyst. So appreciate you, Mark. Love you lots. You're a great guy. Great analyst. Thank you so much for joining today. Really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you, bud. Love you, bud. Um, you know, I'm here for you whenever you need me. Uh, this was a blast. Happy to come on anytime. Uh, stay well, be safe. Good luck with everything. If I can do anything for you, just let me know. You know where to find me. Absolutely. I will. Absolutely. Yes, sir. All righty, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. However long this lasted, it looked like about an hour and a half. So hope you enjoyed this hour and a half of listening. Mark and I talk about football, talk about the NFL draft, talk about Cam Newton, the Patriots, Dak Prescott, and whatnot. Thank you guys so much for listening. Peace.